Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. to be here. Um, I've told some people in the past that I became a Christian while I was in my sophomore year at the University of Oklahoma. So whenever I'm around college students, especially from this university, uh, it just makes me feel at home. And uh, not only became a Christian at that time, but also began to learn what it was to walk with the Lord. So just really thankful to see all of you all here and for this opportunity to speak right now. Um, I want to kind of give the, a big picture of some things in the in the scriptures. I know Kevin already did a, a good job last week kind of giving a, a topical presentation. I, want to, I actually want to look this morning at four different passages, uh, two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament. And before I get to the first one in the Old Testament, I just want to kind of reflect on what the Bible tells us from the very beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, we learn that man, men and women, were, are created in the image of God. That's the, the key statement in there. Uh, we're different from the animals. Uh, God found it to be very good the way that he created us. And we have this uh, unique privilege of being created in his image to reflect his glory in ways that other people or other, other creation, creations cannot. Um, at the same time, God gave man a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. It's one of the few commands that men have, uh, have faithfully carried out. We've done a pretty good job of being fruitful and multiplying. But actually, the reflecting of God's glory is something that we've kind of fallen down on. So as people have tried to do that from time to time, more often than not, we've failed. Uh, we've sinned. And particularly when you read further in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, we see that mankind, uh, because of the fall, uh, was continually following this path of uh, distant from God, away from God. And we're not reflecting the glory of God in the way that we can by way of our potential. So God, from time to time, would uh, take initiative and reveal himself in special ways to people. So you have people like Noah that had this direct revelation from the Lord and was walking with the Lord uh, and was able to be used by the Lord. A few other people in the Old Testament. But God began, after the flood, a different methodology, as it were. Instead of the direct revelation uh, himself to mankind, he began to use a mediated methodology. So he would call people to himself, to himself rather, and then through them, he would let other people know about the Lord. So different people throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament have this special role to not only know God, we have a, a privilege and a responsibility to know God, but also to let other people know about him. And we see this most clearly, I think, in the person of Abraham in the Old Testament. So Abraham's story really begins in Genesis chapter 12. It's the first passage that I want to look at this morning. So Genesis, or, and Abraham had lived in Ur. He was a pagan. We know that from the scriptures. Scriptures call him a pagan, uh, living in Ur, which is like modern Iraq, uh, quite distant from Palestine or, or the promised land. And yet God called him and said, I want you to leave your country behind, leave your extended family, and go to a place that I'll show you. So Abraham obeyed. Uh, he had this direct 
revelation from the Lord. That was what he's supposed to do. He obeyed and he went out and eventually found himself in the land that we know as Israel today. So once he arrived there, uh, God reinforced this aspect of the call that we see here in, in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you, Abraham, will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it's, a, it's an incredible calling that Abraham had. You can think of this idea of being a great nation. At the time, it was just Abraham and his wife, and they were both up in years. So just the two of them, and they had some servants and some people that went along with, the, with them in the travel. But it was not a family, and it certainly was not a great nation. And yet the Lord was promising that he would make a great nation out of this couple. I will bless you and make your name great. The Lord God, the creator of all things, saying, I will bless you. That's a tremendous, tremendous promise. Make your name great. You know, today, Abraham is one of those names that you throw out there. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Muslim, or whatever. People respect. So certainly his name has become great. And then God says, he will bless those who bless you. I'll bless your friends. I will curse those who dishonor you. I will will curse your enemies. So to have God as your allies, also tremendous promise. But then at the end, we see what looks like it's a promise, and actually it's a command. It says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a command for Abraham to do something with all these other blessings that God is is promising. So Abraham was not just to hold on to the blessings and become rich, become famous, but he was to use that position to be a blessing to other people. It's, uh, it's interesting to think that Abraham was called to be a blessing to others. So he had been blessed to be a blessing for others. That's a, it's a fundamental principle I think we can see running through the scriptures, but especially here at the beginning. Abraham was a mediator of God's blessings. He wasn't just a recipient, but he was to take some of what he received and to build on that and become, by extension, a blessing to others. He was to be that bridge between people that didn't know God and God himself. He was to be a mediator. In soccer, you might use the term a midfielder, connecting the offense and the defense. So Abraham was this person that was being used by God, but not just random, choose somebody out of the blue, somebody that had been blessed by the Lord. One of the things that we can think about is ways in which God has blessed us, and certainly he's blessed us in many many ways, Uh, maybe some of these same ways that Uh, are mentioned here in Genesis 12, but many other ways as well. Um, The thought of blessing all the families of the earth, that word all should trouble us a little bit. We think that's that's pretty daunting. It's not just bless the people that are nearby, bless a lot of people, but bless all the families of the earth. That's an impossible task if you think about it humanly. And yet God was calling him to that. Now, some people, theologians, uh, have kind of looked at that and said, well, the blessing, the, the big blessing, the true blessing, this is, this is correct, comes through Abraham's great, 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 you know, great, great grandchild, Jesus Christ. So he is the source of all blessing for us. He's the, the great, the perfect blessing uh, that we need to extend to other people. 
But I also think that God doesn't give commands like this to people unless he intends that there be some sort of fulfillment. You know, you could think, well, God gave me a command and I'm just gonna let my, my child or my grandchild uh, take care of that one because I don't really need to be concerned with it. So Abraham, I think, had this double challenge of getting to know who God was, being called from this life of being a non-follower of, of God and learning what it meant to be a follower of God and at the same time, learning what it meant to be a blessing for other people. So that was his challenge. But the ultimate end of that should be to be a blessing for all peoples, all families of the earth. It's estimated that at that time, there were probably 80 million people in the world. Uh, the previous chapter, chapter 11 of Genesis, lists 70 countries that were formed after the flood. So just the thought of, of reaching one country uh, would be a pretty intimidating task. And yet God is saying, in light of this great list of 70 countries, I want you to be a blessing to all of them. So it's a huge task. It's a, a formidable task. And yet we see that Abraham was given it. It was repeated in his lifetime uh, several other occasions. The same challenge or call was given to his son, Isaac, to his grandson, Jacob. And we can begin to see it fleshed out a little bit in the persons of Joseph, his great-grandson. Great so Joseph, when he was taken uh, as a slave into Egypt, uh, he could have just lamented and become bitter, but instead he rose to prominence. God blessed him with a position, and he was able to, it says there in the account, he was able to bless other peoples of the world uh, with the food that was being supplied, that were being kept there in Egypt. So in a sense, Joseph was one that saw the uh, the ramifications of that on a larger scale, not just for the immediate context, but for uh, various countries. So God is giving Abraham a command, which I think is very similar to the things that he gives to us. And he wants us to think about the possibility of being a blessing, not just for the people near us, but being a blessing for all the families of the earth. When we continue that story, uh, we can trace through the different individuals uh, that came after Abraham and his family, his immediate family. But the story of Israel is interesting. Israel you know, at this time didn't exist, and they, there was this period of 400 years where they were slaves in Egypt uh, before they actually became a nation. Uh, the plagues that, were, that came, uh, Moses and Aaron uh, rained down on, on Egypt as it were. Uh, they help the people to understand who it is that is doing all this. Who's Yahweh uh, that these men are talking about? Who is the true God? Because they kind of lost contact with this. There's maybe some uh, recollection that in the past there was this uh, forefather of ours named Abraham who had this neat experiences with the Lord, uh, but they didn't have that personal relationship with the Lord. So part of the purposes of the plagues was that God would draw the the Jews to himself, that they would learn what it meant to be a people of the Lord. But at the same time, the Lord gives them a special commission. So at the time that they were actually, their, their constitution was written, as it were, uh, that they became, this, they had this self-identity of being a distinct people, God established a purpose for them. And that's the second passage I want to look at this morning. So. If you flip over to Exodus chapter 19, we can see uh, this calling. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
And again, it's just after, you know, a few days after they've been delivered from Egypt. They're still trying to figure out, the dust is literally settling, and they're trying to figure out uh, what's going on. And uh, the Lord gives this, these instructions to Moses. And this is literally the first thing that they're receiving from the Lord other in a, in a spoken, a, a revelation sense. So the Lord's saying, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The Lord is bringing this, this great group of people to himself. They were going to be a special people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And second, in verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And third, you shall be a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, talking to Moses. So you're kind of expecting this long discourse or maybe uh, God trying to set all the things straight. Instead, he focuses, he's a laser focus to three things that should uh, be part of the people's identity from that point on. These three things. You will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests and you will be a holy nation. Now, each one of those is very important, and we need to kind of unpack that just a little bit. When you talk about a treasured possession, they, they were special. We see that back in verse 4. It brought, they were brought to the Lord himself. But they were like a, a special jewel that the Lord had discovered or, or unearthed. Uh, they were like a trophy that he had won, a, a special people that he had brought to himself. So they, were, they had this privileged place, and they were supposed to be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, sometimes you'll hear the expression, and I think it's, it's a valid one, you say that the Jews are God's chosen people. I, I've used that expression. I don't have any problems with it. But sometimes when we say the Jews are God's chosen people, we think chosen in the sense of exclusive. They are different from all the other peoples, and God really didn't have much to do with all the others, at least at that time. But that's not what the verse is saying. It's saying, in fact, that you will be a treasured possession in the midst of all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So the Lord is underscoring the thought that all nations are actually his already, but they need to come into a full relationship with him. So Israel had a privileged position. They were, they were first in line, as it were, but they were not the only people that should have formed that, that line. There should be other peoples that should follow them and literally follow their example and come into the Lord. So you see different examples in the Old Testament of entire nations that uh, kind of woke up at different times. There were warnings that were given, uh, messages to repent. Uh, probably the most famous case of all is you know, Jonah went to pre preach against the great country of Nineveh and uh, Assyria, Nineveh there. Uh, so Nineveh finally repented. You know, Jonah didn't do much in the way of a message, but the, the Lord brought repentance to an entire country for a short time. You can think of Daniel and his interactions uh, with King Darius, probably the most important ruler of the time. And yet when Daniel was uh, delivered from uh, the furnace, King Darius gives this tremendous uh, confession 
of his faith in the Lord God. It's just, it's really remarkable to think of that. So Israel was being a blessing to other people. Now Israel failed more often than not. More often than not, they didn't uh, take seriously this, this calling to be a special uh, treasure within the midst of other people. But there were occasions that they did do exactly what the Lord had in mind. The third expression here, uh, you shall be a holy nation, in verse 6, that also leads some people to, to think, well, Israel was called to be separate. Uh, they were called to be distant from. Uh, they were called to be unlike, that, you know, different than all these other countries. And when you track through the history of, of Israel, they, they did try to maintain some distance. Uh, they did have their own distinct culture. Uh, when you get to the New Testament times, you had groups that were you know, so zealous in trying to be different that they wouldn't even uh, interact. They wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile. Uh, they wouldn't have any dealings whatsoever. In fact, they considered such things as impure. Well, it's hard to find that in the Old Testament, but that's kind of the way the traditions had developed. But I'm going to suggest to you that holiness is not just a matter of being separate to the Lord. Holiness is also a matter of being separate for the Lord. Being separate for the Lord is mean, means that you are set aside to fulfill God's purposes. You think of the holy instruments in the tabernacle of the temple. You know, I don't I can go through the list, but there's lots of different ones. They were holy instruments set apart. They were to be treated uh, as special, but for a particular purpose. God's people are also, we're supposed to be different. We are supposed to be set apart, not follow the, the standards of the world, but we are to follow the purposes of the Lord. We're, we're supposed to follow his purposes and not necessarily fall in lockstep with the cultures all around us. So Israel was to be a holy nation set apart for the purposes of the Lord. And then in the middle there, the, the second item, you shall be a kingdom of priests. For me, that's the one that just encapsulates so well what their purpose was. Now, uh, I don't know about your religious tradition, uh, but we don't have priests here at Wildwood. Um, Except we do, right? We have a whole body of priests. So we're called to be priests. In fact, Peter, when he uses this term, he quotes this same passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that we are all priests to the Lord. But you think in the Old Testament of what was the priest's function or role. Well, the, the priest, again, was kind of like this uh, midfielder. You know, he was the, the person that not only went in, had special access to the Lord himself... He had this privilege of this revelation or, or relationship with the Lord. But he also had a responsibility to the people. So he wasn't going before the Lord for his own sake. He was going to, to bring or to present the needs, the requests, the, the confessions of the people themselves to the Lord. And then if the Lord communicated something to the priest, the priest had to go back to the people and communicate those same things. So here you're talking about not just a singular high priest, but a whole kingdom of priests. Well, if the Jews as a collective whole were to be priests, you think, well, who are the two parties then? The Lord, for sure, on one side, but who's on the other side? Well, they, they can be priests, a kingdom of priests for all the other nations that don't know the Lord just yet. 
So again, the purpose of the Lord is in view here as you think about what the country is being formed for. Their calling is not just to be distinct, to be privileged, uh, to be certainly not to be exclusive, but they're being called to serve the Lord and to represent the Lord before others. So we could put it like this, that uh, the Lord is saying to the people, they are called to be priests and to lead others to God, God the Father. The special, unique relationship, not just knowing about God, but to have a relationship with him, to feel that intimacy with God the Father, and the intermediary that God is using is now, are now the Jews, is the country of Israel. So again, we see that in some cases they fulfilled that, in many others they did not. Um, but as much as they could, they could be an attractive force for other peoples to be drawn to the Lord. Uh, you can think of somebody like Rahab who was drawn to the Lord because of the military victories that they had, had won. So the spies were just there as kind of an in, interest, instrument or an intermediary telling her more about the Lord. Or you could think of somebody like Ruth. After living with her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, no, I, I don't want to stay among the Moabites. I want to go with you, and your God will be my God now. You could think of somebody like the Queen of Sheba when she went to Solomon. She'd heard about his wisdom and said, there's something special here, something unique. I want to know more. So people, time after time, were drawn to Israel, not because of Israel in, in itself, but because of the Lord that was blessing them. They had been blessed to be a blessing, and they were called to be priests to lead others to the Father. First phrase we were focused on was, we are blessed to be a blessing. Can you say that with me? We are blessed to be a blessing. The second phrase is up here on the screen. We are called to be priests to lead others to God the Father. Can you say that? We are called to be priests to lead others to God the Father. When we move into the New Testament, um, it's not surprising that Jesus was a blessing for other people. You know, God's son, uh, he lived a perfect life. Uh, but wherever we see Jesus, he's blessing others through his teaching, uh, through the miracles, uh, through the way in which he interacted with people, even some of the most unlikely characters that you, uh, if you were a good Jew, you probably wouldn't associate with these same people. And yet Jesus called Matthew to be one of his 12, a hated tax collector, and probably some of the others had... Uh, some black marks on their, their record as well. And yet Jesus was not only with these people, but it seemed like he enjoyed being with these people. So Jesus went out of his way to establish contact with people that uh, the good Jews probably would not. You can think about his interaction with the demon-possessed, uh, people that were uh, excluded, physically excluded from society. And yet Jesus seemed to go out of his way to be in contact with them. You think about the, the ones that were physically incapacitated, uh, the lame or the blind or others. Again, excluded from the normal day-to-day -day of Jewish life, and yet Jesus would go up and interact with these people and show compassion from the Lord. You think about people that were socially ostracized, uh, people that were excluded uh, for one reason or another, perhaps the moral choices that they had made. 
And yet Jesus, time and time again, through his interactions, through his associations, he was a blessing to more and more people. So Jesus was truly a blessing uh, to others. Um, but Jesus also gave his disciples a unique, not only an example, but a unique command at the very end of his time, uh, which kind of encapsulated the things that he'd already lived out. So you could summarize uh, Jesus' lifestyle or his emphasis uh, in the book of Matthew, for instance, with a passage like the following. Matthew 28, the very last verses of that book, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't see the word blessing there, but we do see the central command of making disciples. People were supposed to become followers of Jesus. They were supposed to become like Jesus in the way that they spoke, the things that they did, and the way that they interacted with other people. So a follower of Jesus is supposed to make other followers of Jesus. They were blessed to be a blessing. They were called to be priests to lead others to God the Father. And here in New Testament language, we see that we are called to make disciples, to make other followers of Jesus. Now these, just these few verses have a lot of content. It would be great to spend a whole uh, class session on this alone. Um, but I do want to just call attention to four things here. In fact, there are four times that the word all is used. So in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Now that's important because it's not just some afterthought. It's not just some, um, hey, this is an appendix. Uh, read it if you want to or listen to it. But this is the authority of the Lord behind Jesus' statement here. Jesus is, is transmitting basically what's a, a summary verse for all of his teaching, the, especially the summary verse for what he wants the disciples to do. He's standing on a mountain to kind of underscore the, just by his presence, his high position there, uh, talking to his disciples, probably in Galilee at this point, and saying all that you can see, everything around, as far as you can see, is under his authority. So we've been given this great task of making disciples of all nations, but the Lord was very aware of what that implied. It's an impossible task. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But the Lord was calling us to that nonetheless. The second all is found in this verse 19. It says, make disciples of all nations. Now the earth by this point had grown in population. There was hundreds of millions of people. Uh, but just like as it was complex for Abraham, it was equally complex for this um, iconoclast group of Jews that had probably never traveled more than 50 miles from their hometown. And Jesus was, this is probably one of the more shocking things for them. You know, for us to get on a plane and travel to some other part of the world, it's, yeah, it's a kind of a big deal, but not such a big deal. But for somebody that had never even entertained that thought, Jesus is telling them, go, not just to family, not just to neighbors, but go to some of the most difficult, some of the most distinct places and peoples of the earth. Go where you may not be welcome, but you need to go to all nations. 
The next all is found in verse, um, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, that's a, kind of an alert for us, uh, certain traditions of the Christian life. Uh, we can think the most important thing is that decision. Uh, somebody raise a hand, pray a prayer, maybe walk an aisle, and they become, they, they pass from darkness into light. It is an important decision, but it shouldn't be seen as the end statement of each Christian. It shouldn't be seen as the last thing that they do uh, that's of any worth uh, in their Christian walk. He's saying, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So there's this initiation ceremony that we call baptism. You know, that marks kind of the front end of your Christian life. And then the process, the teaching process, the learning process takes over, and we have to learn what it is, not just cognitively, to know about the Lord and about the Bible, but in a volitional sense of wanting to obey the Lord. And this is what observing or obeying all that Jesus commands implies. So Jesus is telling this group of disciples that has already bought into this to some degree, hey, go and replicate yourselves, that other people would also become followers of Jesus. The last all is in verse 20, and it's not apparent here in this verse, but teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, behold, I am with you always. And literally in the original text, it would say all the days. And that's a comfort to us. It's a challenge at the same time. It's not a short-term process that's gonna happen just within a few days or a few weeks. Uh, it's 2,000 years now, and we're still trying to get this uh, fulfilled. But during the entire time, as long as we are engaged in this effort to make disciples of all nations, Jesus promises that he'll be with us. So we can count on that today. Jesus is with us in the sense of he comforts us, he encourages us, uh, he convicts us, but he's also with us to open doors, to convince other people of their sin and their need for the Lord. He's with us to do much more than our own limitations would allow so that his power can be seen as great. So if there's ever any success in leading others to the Lord or in discipling other people, praise Jesus, right? Because he's the one that's present making this happen. So Jesus is giving this command to his disciples and like the disciples of that generation, we are called to make followers of Jesus throughout the world of all nations, every people, every tongue, every tribe, all throughout the world. We are called to make followers of Jesus. One more verse, okay? And then uh, we're gonna have another short time of discussion. When uh, you go through the New Testament, the book of Acts is full of, of examples. The epistles also have great teachings on how this plays out on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, but the Great Commission itself is interesting because it's not just in Matthew 28. You can actually find a form of the Great Commission in all four of the gospel accounts towards the end. And it's because during those 40 days that Jesus was with his disciples, uh, in John chapter 20, for example, it was the first day, the day of the resurrection, and Jesus, almost the first thing out of his mouth, he's talking about, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then after he'd gone up to Galilee with his disciples, you see Matthew 28 coming into play. 
In between, you see Mark and Luke with their own expressions of the grace. So Jesus was repeating this message time and time again. But then on the final day, in fact, just moments before he was taken up into heaven, Jesus repeated this great commission one more time. And we see this expression in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So here it's, it's a little bit different than Matthew 28, but you can see at the same time a lot of similarities. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witnesses are necessary because by your words, by your lifestyle, uh, you can transmit the idea that um, your life has seen some differences. Uh, you know something about Jesus because of what the Bible has taught us, and you can tell that to other people. You can also talk about your own witness to your own life change. Uh, tell people that I used to be like this, now I'm like this, and God is transforming me. So we can be witnesses, and that's a, important. It's like that initial step in making disciples. You can't, can't overlook that and just jump to something else. So be witnesses. He spells out here uh, some of those all nations of Matthew 28. He says Jerusalem, where they were at the time, Judea, the surrounding area, Samaria next door, and even to the end of the earth. It's not a sequence, not a strategy here. He's not saying this one, then, that one, then, but the conjunction here is and, right? So do Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the, how do you do all those at once? Well, good question, it's, it sounds impossible. And we may be in one of those or another at different points in our life. That may be your focus, but we should embrace all of these. And if we know of something that's going on to reach the end of the earth and we're not there, we can pray for them, we can contribute, we can try to encourage the people that are going. So Jesus is telling his disciples to do all of these things. But the chief thing that we see here that's different than Matthew 28 is this, this focus on the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, he said, I will be with you. He himself uh, in spirit is with us, but the Holy Spirit is in us and working through us in a very distinct way. And you see this play out, especially in the book of Acts. It's a lot of times it's termed Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one that will make this possible. A great consolation to all of us. So we're called not only to make disciples of the whole earth, but we're called to depend on the Holy Spirit to reach all peoples. We are blessed to be a blessing to others, like Abraham was instructed. We're called to be priests to lead others to God the Father, just like the Jews were called, and like we are called, according to 1 Peter. We are called also to make disciples of Jesus throughout the world, and we are called to depend on the Holy Spirit to reach all peoples. So these aren't distinct things, it's not four different things that we need to remember, but you can see, as it were, a progression of thought as God has revealed his will throughout the, new, throughout the Bible, we can see how the, it's become crystallized or, or focused. It's also interesting that you can see the work of the triune God in all this. The Israelites calling people to a relationship with God in a very fatherly sense, in an intimate, special sense. Jesus asking the disciples 
to baptize others in his name, telling them that he would be present whenever they make disciples and the Holy Spirit living within us to make it all possible. So what's God's plan for the nation? I'd say God's plan for the nation is to reach people and draw them to a relationship with himself. We can be part of that process. We can have a part of that. As we are disciples and become closer or better disciples, we can draw others into that same relationship. It's a great privilege that we have 